maturation of cybercrime and anxiety rises over an active management technology flaw. These stories and more coming up on the ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro. The ubiquitous of the internet and all that makes it such a great platform to communicate with friends and business associates, as well as transacting business, also creates one of the biggest challenges we face in our online society, keeping us safe from those who do us harm. As we sadly know, the internet isn't always a safe place to hang out, and our online neighborhoods aren't getting safer. Just listen to these stats from security provider Symantec. The number of identities stolen last year nearly doubled. Almost 100,000 bots were spotted in 2016, up 7% from 2015. Malware continues to be a blight on the threat landscape, with more than 357 million new variants counted in 2016. That's 30% more than just two years earlier. To discuss this disturbing trend, I'm joined by Tom Field. He's Executive Vice President for Editorial and Information Security Media Group. Hi, Tom. Eric, thanks so much for having me on. It's not just that cybercrime is growing, but it's maturing as well. What's behind this evolution in cybercrime? Besides, that's where the money is, and that's where you can get access to it without having to have a gun and put yourself in harm's way. Part of it is that cybercrime isn't limited to just a handful of sectors. It's not just for banking and for government. It's everywhere. And it's having an impact on enterprises of all types in the public and the private sectors. The ability of the criminals to exfiltrate data and then monetize that data has really changed the threat landscape. Now, you know Steve Durbin. He's the executive director of the industry group, the Information Security Forum. I caught up with Steve at the ISMG Fraud and Breach Prevention Summit in Atlanta recently, where he gave a presentation on the latest cyber attack trends. And he used the example of ransomware, which we all know about today, as an example of the maturation of cybercrime. When many of us think of ransomware, we usually think about a PC or a server that's locked up and criminals demand a payoff to unlock those encrypted devices. Sometimes smart organizations have got good backups, they refuse to pay, and they restore their their computers, their servers using that backed up data. But cyber criminals are targeting other types of technologies with these ransomware attacks. Think of a device on the Internet of Things. And in that case, the backup scenario might not help in some of these new situations. Here's Steve Durbin. Mainly because that gives you such a bigger landscape to go after from, from the bad guy standpoint. You know, IoT devices are now prevalent not just in business, but also in the home. And they're accessing all sorts of interesting information from a cyber criminal standpoint. And that's the real concern, I think, as we go forward. How do we nail that one? How do we ring fence that? How do we raise the level of awareness uh, at the consumer level? We have to be protecting these devices in the home. They come in all sorts of shapes and sizes, as you know. Awareness campaigns can only go so far as we've seen in changing behavior. Isn't this the responsibility of IoT device makers to build ransomware defenses? That's a great line. That's what we all talk about. And in fact, Steve Durbin says that manufacturers now have a good opportunity to stand up and to standardize IoT security standards. If we look at IoT, certainly just a number of years ago, there was no standardization. That is a double-edged sword, frankly. The fact that there wasn't standardization made it much more difficult for the bad guys to get access because they're different operating systems, different ways that you need to get in. So you need a really good understanding of the device. Of course, as it matures, what we're starting to see is standards evolving, commonality, which is opening up some of the opportunities. And so the onus is very much more on the manufacturer to really preserve the integrity of that device. And here's the rub. That comes at a cost. Are we prepared to bear that cost is the response that the manufacturers will be putting forward because they will go so far as to protect 
their reputation, their brand, and to make sure that the device continues to work. After that, different story. Will IoT manufacturers stand up and do the right thing? Eric, that's a fabulous question. We don't have the answer to it yet. And I think in part because there hasn't been the public pressure or the incentive for the IoT manufacturer to step up and build in security from the start. How many of us have smart TVs today? I've got a Samsung smart TV and I don't see Samsung coming to me to ensure that the device is more secure than when it was issued two years ago. There hasn't been the big high profile breach that puts the onus back on the IoT manufacturer to ensure that the investment is made up front to instill that security. And that's the key because it requires an investment to be made up front. And to this point, it would seem manufacturers have decided that the risk of breach and their role in that breach is lesser than the investment that it would take to instill that security from the start. I guess it's going to take a super target type breach for these uh, IoT manufacturers to start moving on it. When that big headline comes, then you'll see the movement. Well, thanks, Tom. Eric, thank you very much. The ISMG Security Report continues after this. Innovation of Information Sharing, presented by Michael Daniel, President, Cyber Threat Alliance, and former White House Cybersecurity Coordinator. That, plus the FBI, DOJ, and more industry influencers at ISMG's Breach Summit in Washington, D.C. Visit ismgcorp.com to register today. It's known as Active Management Technology, and AMT is an Intel firmware tool used by administrators to remotely manage computers. There's been an exploitable flaw in AMT that has existed since 2010, and it appears that vulnerability is worse than originally feared. To discuss the problem with AMT, I'm joined by Data Breach Today Executive Editor Matthew Schwartz. Hi, Matt. Hello, Eric. What is this flaw and how has it worsened? Intel built this tool that it developed into firmware in a lot of its business machines. The tool is designed to meet a need that many IT departments have, which is remote access and administration. If you have a business machine out in the field, you might want to update or install a new operating system or manage that device in some way. Intel has baked these remote access and adjustment capabilities into the firmware on a lot of its vPro chips. That allows organizations in which AMT is enabled, and that's not all organizations, to remotely access the devices. What's new here? On May 1st, Intel warned that there was a critical vulnerability in AMT that would allow it to be exploited by attackers. With the May 1st security alert, Intel wasn't getting into specifics. It wanted to ensure that there wasn't some mass hacking campaign that ensued when people ran with the details of this. Fast forward to May 5th, and the security researcher who had discovered this in the first place back in February and reported it to Intel in March was allowed to release his research separately security firm Tenable, using what Intel said on May 1st, was able to identify what the flaw was and independently validate that it was really bad. Because if AMT is enabled on a system using free, easy-to-use tools and five, maybe 10 lines of code at most, an attacker can cook up an exploit that gives them direct access to the AMT system. For the username, they just say admin. For the password, they pick any password they want. And voila, they have access to the targeted system. They can do anything they want with it. What's being done to mitigate this flaw? 
A number of equipment manufacturers who use Intel chips are attempting to get related patches to market as quickly as possible. Now, those patches are going to come in the form of firmware. They're going to update the BIOS on the device and lock down this vulnerability. So far, Intel has said that Dell, Fujitsu, HP, and Lenovo manufacture vulnerable systems. And those manufacturers have released a list of what is and is not vulnerable, as well as estimated timelines for when the new firmware is going to show up. ATM manufacturer NCR says that some of its motherboards may likewise be vulnerable to these flaws. Are we aware of anyone exploiting this flaw so far? Not yet, but there's a wrinkle. If you use AMT to access the system, nothing gets logged unless you've put other logging mechanisms in place. But it's unlikely that many firms that have AMT enabled would be logging this type of access to their machines. The short answer is this could have been discovered by someone years ago, an intelligence agency, for example, and have been exploited regularly, and we wouldn't even know about it. Is there anything the end user should do, or is this something that's only up to the manufacturer's even when the manufacturers ship the firmware updates, getting those firmware updates onto systems is going to be a really lengthy process. It's going to be a big headache for IT shops. They're going to have to test it. They're going to have to get the firmware onto a device. Oftentimes that means directly accessing the device. I think it's going to be a nightmare. In the interim, ditch any vulnerable machine. There would be a cost hit associated with that. What else you can do, and Intel recommends this, is disabling or even deleting AMT functionality from machines. It might need to be deleted. If it's just disabled, it might be possible that an attacker could reactivate it. AMT allows a machine that's turned off if it's connected to a power supply to be remotely booted. Just because you turn the power switch off doesn't mean that an attacker couldn't compromise this. This is one of the reasons it's so concerning. Deactivating AMT or deleting AMT until a fix can be put onto the relevant device is being recommended. Assume that any machine has AMT on it and that it is active until proven otherwise. Thanks, Matt. Thank you, Eric. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. Finally, the U.S. Social Security Administration is taking another crack at implementing two-factor authentication for recipients seeking to access their accounts online. ISMG Security and Technology Editor Jeremy Kirk has the details. The U.S. Social Security Administration has come up with a revised plan to implement multi-factor authentication after an effort last year was scrapped. As of June 10th, those logging into a Social Security account will be required to turn on multi-factor authentication. From then on, account users will need to either receive a one-time passcode via SMS on their mobile phone or through email. It's the Social Security Administration's second attempt to get two-factor right. In July 2016, the administration announced it would implement multi-factor authentication to comply with a presidential order, but the agency's original plan came under immediate fire. First, it required all users to have a mobile phone, which is a questionable requirement for an agency that distributes retirement benefits to seniors. Absent a mobile device, the agency offered no other options for online account access. At the same time, it said simply that those without mobile phones won't be able to go online. Additionally, a user had to have a mobile phone with a U.S. number, which excluded expats and at least 500,000 benefit recipients living outside the country. 
The new plan increases accessibility, but it still assumes that users have an email account, which some seniors may not have, and relying on email as a second security control may cause a groan. If a hacker has obtained the username and password for someone's social security account, it's possible that their email account has already been compromised, especially if the same password has been reused. The agency's move to multi-factor last July also came around the same time as a warning from the National Institute of Standards and Technology. That's the agency that advises the government on technology issues. It said it was deprecating out-of-band authentication over SMS or voice. That was due to the variety of ways that phones can be compromised, including social engineering ploys aimed at porting numbers to other devices. Still, implementing two-factor authentication is better late than never, as the Social Security Administration account portal has attracted criminal attention ever since it was launched in 2012. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk. That's the ISMG Security Report. Our theme is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Eric Chabro. Catch you next time.